Thank you for joining New Life Fellowship Podcast today. We are a church desiring to expand the kingdom of God by making disciples. We pray that this message inspires you, build your faith, and hope that it will give you perspective to see that our God is moving in your life. Hope you enjoyed the message. Good morning, church. Uh, We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, My name is Eric Noah. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, uh, and I just have the privilege of bringing you God's word. Uh, Well, for our introduction today, I just wanted to briefly recap where we've been. Uh, If you're just joining us this week, we've been going through a 10-week series on this concept of being devoted. And the way we got here was through the passage of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It gives us a long description of what the early church was like, what they were enjoying, and what they were actually producing as an early church. And so we went through different concepts. The first thing was we talked about how they just simply enjoyed the gospel. They didn't do anything particularly special. They just enjoyed Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. And there was a few ways in which they did that. They enjoyed it through the apostles' teaching, which is essentially reading God's word. They did it through prayer. Uh, they did it through communion or the breaking of bread, to tell us, tells us in that passage. Uh, then they did it through just fellowshipping and really uh, just spending time with each other and really uh, uh, just supporting each other in every need, which is how they actually lived in light of that gospel. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Kenny talked about generosity, that they just started giving away their money. It's crazy. To everyone who had a need, they were just giving it away. Okay. Uh, last week, I talked about joy and how this gospel truth just spewed joy so much so that it even overcame their sorrows. In fact, it turned their sorrows into joy. Uh, and so for this week, we're going to be talking about this concept of praise or thanksgiving. Right in light of Thanksgiving, which is going to be coming this Thursday, in light of Thanksgiving, I wanted to talk about this concept of praise. Because the early church devoted itself to praising God, just really lifting up God in Thanksgiving. And so we want to talk about that today. Uh, The next two weeks, uh, we only have a few more weeks in this devoted series. Next week, we're going to be talking about how the church had favor with all the peoples, how basically Christian and non-Christians love the church. And then lastly, uh, we're going to be talking about multiplication how the church actually multiplied itself. And then after that, we're going to be going, we're going, to be going uh, expositorily into the book of Philippians. And we just want to talk more about joy. Because if you know anything about the book of Philippians, it's talking all about joy. How do you live a joy-filled life? What does it mean to be joyful? How do you have a joyful life? And so we want to uh, do that as we march into the new year and then into the new year as well. We want to start this new year off with just talking about joy. So we're, we'll be going through the book of Philippians. Uh, but for today, as I said, we're going to be talking about praise. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Psalm chapter 95. Uh, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter. It's, it's only a, a 10 verse, or 11 verses, I apologize. Uh, and if you have uh, the English Standard Version on your phones, your tablets, turn with me there. Uh, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And if you're able to, would you all rise with me as we read God's Word together? This is Psalm chapter 95, verses 1 to 11. This is a King David. He wrote this psalm for us to read and for us to celebrate really God's goodness. He says this, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. 
For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and they put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Amen. Let me pray for us. Worship this morning. Even as we listen to this word, Lord, we, we praise you. We give you thanksgiving. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come now. We're so sinful. We're so depraved, God, that we even need your help, God, to praise you and to give you thanks. And so, Lord, would you help us now? We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, so we have three points as we normally do. The first point is what is right worship? Okay, what's right worship? Uh, the second point is, uh, can you show that for me? I, I don't want to scroll through. Why do we worship? Okay, why do we worship? And then our third point will be how do we worship? Okay, how do we worship? Okay, so what is, why, and then how do we actually worship? Okay, so what is the right way to worship? I don't know if you guys have ever tried this, okay? But have you ever tried to build something upon something that is inconsistent or something that is constantly changing? In my opinion, I think just the natural laws of life and just the natural laws of this earth say to us that you cannot build something upon something that is constantly changing. It's impossible to grow something when, it is, when the foundations of it are constantly changing. So let me give you an example, okay? Have you ever tried to build a child's emotional life when your parents' disciplinary actions and standards and their emotional life is constantly changing? Right? Up and down, up and down. One day it's bad to do this. Another day it's okay to do this. And if you ever try to build a child's emotional life on a parent who's like fluctuating and their standards never stay the same, what happens is you, you end up rearing a child who actually doesn't have a sound emotional life in them. Okay? Have you ever, many of you guys are probably a part of a team at your, at your workplace, right? And if you've ever had a manager who is inconsistent or constantly changing, that team is probably terribly difficult to work on, right? Some days he or she's like, well, I want it this way. Some days he or she might be like, no, I want it this way. And you never end up knowing what your manager or boss actually wants because he or she is constantly changing. You cannot build a great team unless you have a manager or a boss who is firm who is unchanging, who has some standards that he or she gives to you, right? Uh, if you ever tried to build just a building, I don't know if some of you are architects, if you ever just tried to build a building, build it on a, on a shaky foundation, build it on sand, or build it on something that is changing, and you will never be able to build that building. In potentially every facet of life, if you want to build something, okay, you have to build it on something that is unchanging and stable, Right, this is why in Matthew 6, Jesus says, right, do not build your house upon sand. Because when the rains and the storms come, if you build it upon something that is shifting and changing, that's always moving, guess what happens? It'll fall apart. But if you build it upon something constant, the rock, unchanging, stable, it will last. In fact, you can grow that house. You can build it even bigger. You can make a great, great house if you build it upon something that is unchanging and stable. Now, why am I saying this? Many of you in here are trying to build your life of thanksgiving and praise upon things that are changing. And this is why when you come into church week in and week out, you're like, man, I, just, I, I don't feel like praising God today. Like, oh, man, I, just, I, I don't have a heart of thanksgiving. I, I, I'm trying to praise God, but I just can't. And you know why? 
It's because you're building your life of praise upon something that's constantly shifting and changing, and it's primarily your circumstances. When your life is going well, you're like, wow, praise God. I can worship him today. Right? If something good happens, a promotion or a job or, or, or a raise or a, a new birth in the family or whatever it is, something good happens, you can praise God. But then if something bad happens, all of a sudden there goes your praise life. It's gone. It's absent. Or for some of you, some of you guys come in here and you're like, oh, man, I can't praise today. Why? Because I just woke up, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I didn't have my coffee this morning. I don't have caffeine in me. So I can't really praise and worship God because of my emotions, because of how I actually feel. Am I feeling sad today? Am I feeling happy? Am I feeling this way? And you build your praise life upon that. And that's why you come in here and you can't worship God. You can't praise God because you're building it upon something that's constantly changing. Have you ever seen those people? I've seen this of a few people in my life, especially in my previous church. There was this one lady who would just praise God every single week. And it was not a show. And we knew it was not a show because the way she lived her life was constant. But she would come into praise and worship every single week. And I, would, I kid you not, I would look over at her every week. I kid you not, every week she was just raising her hands, weeping in tears and emotions. She was so filled with thanksgiving, so filled with praise. And when I talk to her about how she's able to do this, guess what? She's not basing her praise or her thanksgiving on her life circumstances or on her emotions. She's basing it upon something that is constant, that is unchanging. And so that's why if you look at our psalm for today, right, Psalm 95, look at verse 1. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. In other words, the praise leader is saying this, come on, let's sing, guys. Let's do it. And then he says, uh, uh, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let's make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Just shout, sing, do all these things. And then look what he says in verse 3. He doesn't say, for your emotions feel good today. For your life is going well today. He doesn't say any of that. He says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. This is the right way to praise God. It is not your emotions. It's not your circumstances. It's not what God gives or takes away. The foundation of your praise and worship is God himself. And if your foundation is God himself, God never changes. God is never different. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm telling you, if you base it upon that, you will be able to come into Sunday worship every single Sunday and praise God with all of your heart. Why? Because it's not based on a circumstance. It's based on a person who is unchanging. Look, so how do you praise a person? Like, how does that work? How do you praise somebody for who they are? How does that work? How do you praise God for who he is? And here's, my, here's what I submit to you. You already know how to praise somebody for who he is. You don't need that person to do anything for you. You already know how. Let me give you an example, okay? Uh, a, while, a while ago, about two years ago, I found this show called America Ninja Warrior. Okay, how many of you, have any of you, can I just get a shout of praise for any American Ninja Warrior fans? Oh, okay, a few, okay. Not that popular of a show. It was on NBC. Um, but here's a picture of uh, one of the feats that they have to do. Okay, Amer- American Ninja Warrior is like all these obstacles that they have to do. Primarily, it has to do with their upper body strength, right? But this is one of the feats that they have to do. It's one of the last uh, 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 like legs of the, 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 the kind of race. They have to do this race, and they're doing all these obstacles. But you see here, right? You see that, those little notches in that bar? Basically, he has to jump. Boom, right? So he does a pull-up. 
And he's jumping and he puts it on the next notch and then he pulls up again. And then he pulls it and he does the next notch and he has to climb up this thing by just jumping doing pull-ups. You get that? It's crazy. And I remember when I first saw this, okay? This man had done nothing for me, okay? He did not buy me a car. He did not buy me a house. He did not buy me a pair of shoes. He did not give anything to me. And yet for some reason I found myself being like, oh my gosh, that's crazy, that is insane. Like, how does, he, how does he have that upper body strength? How does he have those abs? And the, like, how does he do that? That's crazy to me. And I found myself actually being in awe of just who he is. And this is what we mean by when we say the right way to praise God is actually just for who he is. You think about God's mercy. You think about his grace. You think about his power. You think about who he is, his wrath, his judgment, but also his holiness. And you look at all of who God is and you're just like, Wow. God, like, but I remember this one exhibit that I went to with my wife and my son, okay? We went to this exhibit where there was this huge window, okay? This huge window, and behind that window was an exhibit of all these gorillas, okay? These huge gorillas. But this one gorilla happened to be sitting right up against the window, and he was massive. I, I, can't, I, I don't know how much he weighed, but I'm guessing he weighed at least 500 to 1,000 pounds, okay? His biceps were huge, and I was literally standing this close to him. Because the only thing that separated me and him was a window. That was it. And this window was so clear. And I remember during this time, I was looking at him. I was like, oh my gosh, he's huge. I was just in awe and amazement. This gorilla gets up. Gets up from where he's sitting. He turns around. He looks at me. Then he, he starts walking towards the other end of the exhibit. He starts walking towards the other end. And then all of a sudden, he starts charging right at me. I'm not, even, I'm not making this up. This is a true story, Okay. He starts running at us, and all the people who are standing next to me, they, all of us, you start hearing these gas, like, oh, oh, and then he, he comes right up into the window, and then he stops. And everybody's just like, oh, my gosh, right? We're just in awe. And then he turns around, he runs again, and he does it again and again and again. And every time he came close to that window, we just started gasping. Because we're like, oh, my gosh, look at this power. Look at this force. And sometimes when you think about God, you have to think of him in those terms. Do you, do you know how powerful God is? Do you, do you think about how powerful he is? The psalm tells us that he holds mountains in his hands. You know how big a mountain is? He, but he holds it in his hands. You know how vast the ocean is? You know they say that they, they didn't even get to touch the, 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 the studies of like oceanography. right? They know more about space than they do the ocean. But it says that, oh yeah, he just formed it with his hands. And have you ever thought about that and, and tried to grasp just how powerful our God is? And if you ever do, you will stand like all of us and just, man, like not just fear, but in reverence. Oh my gosh, look at this power. And this is what David means when we worship God, not simply because of our circumstances or emotions, but because of who he, he is. We worship him for his grace, his, his goodness, his lovingness, his kindness, but we also worship him because he's a great king. A king above all kings. He's a God. He's a creator. He formed the sea in his hands. And friends, when you come in here on Sundays, I want you to think. God gave you an imagination for a reason. He wants you to use it because he knows he's invisible, but you have to imagine and use your mind to really think upon who God is. Here's a second aspect that King David tells us about right worship. He says, don't only worship God for who he is, but he says, worship him for what he's done. Look at verse 5. It says, the sea is his. For he made it. He made it. And his hands formed the dry land. So don't only worship him because of who he is, but worship God because of what he's done, what he's given to you. The psalmist is saying, praise God for who he is, but also for what he's done. 
look, this is why the doctrine is so important for our Christian life. For those of you who don't know the doctrine of the assurance of salvation, it comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. Okay, this is what, I, it's not going to be up here on the screens, I, but this is what 1 John says. He says, by this, we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us, uh, given us his spirit. What John is saying is this. Did you know that you can know you're saved? Did you know with absolute certainty? You know when I was a kid? You know what I used to do? I, I, this is a true story again. I would get so afraid, and you know why? Because I'd be like, man, am I going to heaven? Like, what if I'm so sinful? And so you know what I do? This is crazy. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys did it, but this is what I did, okay? Every night before I go to bed, I was like, what if I die in my sleep? And what if I have, no conf- what if I have all these unconfessed sins? So before I go to sleep, I would literally confess all my sins to God. I would think back to all the evil things I had done that day, and I would confess, God, I'm sorry for talking to my mom that way. I'm sorry for the bad thought that came before I talked to her. I'm sorry for hitting my friend. I'm sorry for thinking bad thoughts about my friend. I'm sorry for gossiping. And I would literally list out all my sins. And you know why? Because I thought if I did not confess all my sins and I died that night, I would burn in hell for all of eternity. That's a morbid thought, right, for like a five-year-old. And, you know, for some of you, maybe it doesn't go that deep, but for maybe for some of you, it's that way. You're like, man, like, how do I know that I'm going to be saved? Like, you have this shaky foundation of salvation, and yet, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that you can know that you're absolutely saved. You can have 100% of assurance that you will meet God face to face. And the book of John gives us a bunch of things, but he says one thing. He says, if you confess your sins... If you acknowledge that God is your Lord and Savior, if you acknowledge that you have done wrong and you repent of your sins, he says you can know that the Spirit is in you. He says you can have full assurance of your salvation. You don't have to guess whether or not God loves you. And for some of you, the reason why you don't praise and worship God is because you don't have this assurance in your heart. You don't know that on that day you will see God face to face. And this is the reason why you don't worship God. Look, imagine a child who grows up not knowing whether or not their parents love them. They're like, does mommy love me today? Does daddy love me today? I don't know. And but for some of you, that's your Christian life. You're like, does, does God accept me today or God, does God not accept me today? And Christianity says, no, no, no. God accepts you. When you confess your sins, you can know the Spirit lives in you. And because the Spirit lives in you, you know that you're going to be with God with absolute certainty. You don't have to question it. You do not have to question it ever. You don't have to doubt his love. You don't have to doubt his goodness. And this is why it's called the gospel, it is good news that even though you have doubts, even though you've been living your life in sin, if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this brings you the assurance of your salvation. And you can praise God for his works. You can praise God because, why? Because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. Because of his work on the cross, not because of your works. So this is the right way to worship. The right way to worship is to worship God for who he is and what he's done for us upon that cross. Here's the second thing, okay, here's our second point. Why do we worship, okay, why do we worship? Here's the, here's the first sub-point. We have a few sub-points under this point, but the first thing is this, it's not about us. Worship is not about you, okay? And I know you're like, well, of course, it's about God, but, but let me explain, okay? Notice what Psalm 95 doesn't say. Sing a, vo- sing a joyful noise for worship makes you feel good. Uh, sing a joyful noise for uh, you know, the music is good today. Sing a joyful noise because, man, Pastor Jen can really sing today. Uh, sing a joyful noise because Kyung can really sing today. Sing a joyful noise because we got lights, because we got drums, because we have good music. The, the Bible doesn't say that. 
The Bible doesn't give you reason to praise because the music is good today or the music is bad tomorrow. Right? The Bible says praise God because of who he is and what he's done. And it means that no matter what kind of music we give to you on Sunday, it, doesn't, it should not matter. Because guess what? This worship is not about you. Look, when, when Pastor Jin, when Pastor Kenny, myself, when we talk about worship, we're, we're not thinking, okay, how can, we, how can we make people feel good today? How can we make them feel special inside? How can we make them have all the warm fuzzies? No, no, no. You know what we think about? We think about how can we lead these people to actually give what God deserves? How can we get people to forget about themselves so that they can actually worship God? Look, when you come into this worship service, you have to understand it's not about you. You know what the biggest place you get comments in in any church, not just New Life, but in any church, it's always the worship. You know what people always say? They're like, oh, yeah, like the songs here are too hip and too cool. They do too much Bethel Hill song. Like, I don't like that stuff. I like the, I like the old hymns, you know. And then some people are like, oh, I don't like the old hymns. That's too old for me. I like the Bethel and the Hill song, right? And it's like, who cares? Who cares what the song is? It's not about you. It doesn't matter if you like the music or not. The Bible just says sing. Why? Because God deserves it. It doesn't matter if you play a drum or we have drums or a congo or whatever. If we have smoke machines or lights, it doesn't matter. You should be able to praise God no matter what. Oh, but the music is too loud, Pastor Eric. Oh, but the music is too soft, Pastor Eric. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know why? Because it's not about you. It is not about you. Imagine going to a friend's birthday party, okay? And and all of a sudden, you you know, that day you had a long day at work. You know, your boss grilled you at work, or maybe it was at school. You had a long day at school, papers due. You get to this birthday party, and everyone's gathered around the, the birthday person to sing, and, and you stand over there, you're like, I'm not going to sing. And, 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 and somebody asks you, why? You're like, I have a bad day. I had a horrible day. And they're, and they're like, really? That's why you're not going to Yeah, yeah, and, and plus, they don't have a guitar playing happy birthday, so I'm not going to sing happy birthday. You know what that person would tell you? They're like, sing, you, you know, you person... <laughs> I'm not going to say the word, but sing. Why? It's not about you. It's about the birthday person. It's their birthday. It's their celebration. You sing. Why? Because it's about them. You, a lot of us come into this place thinking, you know what? I'm not going to sing today. You know what? I just I had a bad day. I'm not going to sing today because this, this is not my jam right here. And you know what God says? God says, it's not about you. It is not about your preferences. It's not about how you feel. It's about God and him alone. The primary reason why we come on Sunday is not to hear a great message that will inspire you, though that is a fruit of worshiping well. The primary reason why we come on Sunday is not to feel blessed by praise, though that is a fruit of worshiping well again. The primary reason why we come on Sundays is not to see our friends, though that is the fruit of a worshiping community. The primary reason why we come on Sundays is because of God, because of Christ. And that's why you come, is to sing to Him, is to celebrate Him, is to celebrate His work upon the cross. Do you know what the Bible actually tells us about how God reacts to a self-centered kind of worship? You know, in Isaiah chapter 58, it tells us how God reacts. In, verse, verse, uh, 50, uh, sorry, in chapter 58, verse 3, it says this. Why have we, the Israelites are talking to God. They say, why have we fasted and you, not, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In other words, God, we're singing here, like we're, we're doing all this stuff. Why don't you take notice? And this is what God says. He says, behold, in the day of your fast or in the day of your praise or in the day of your worship, you seek your own pleasure. And God's like, I'm not pleased with that. Why would I be pleased when you're seeking your own pleasure? Like, this is for me. 
I created the world. I created you. I saved you. I redeemed you. I did all of these things. I should get the praise and the worship. We praise and we worship because it's not about us. It's about Christ. Here's a second sub-point. It completes our joy. completes our joy. Uh, you know, a while ago, I was doing fantasy football with a few friends of mine. And uh, I drafted, one of my first drafts was this guy named Antonio Brown. Okay? Some of you guys know he got into trouble. But back then, he wasn't in trouble. He was doing phenomenal. That year, every person was doing something. She was like reading. It's quiet. The house is quiet. I'm watching this game on low volume. And Antonio catches the ball. And all of a sudden, I get up. I'm like, holy smoke. I'm like, yeah, Antonio, go, go. And my wife is like, what? Like, she gets scared. She's like, why do you have to yell that loud? Like, calm down. Like, it's just a football game. Like, shut up. And so I was like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. So I sat back down. Antonio Brown catches the ball again. And then I'm like, oh. And I just, I, I, I want to praise, but I can't. So I'm like, oh. And then I still scare her. I'm like, okay, like, so do I have to just be quiet then? Like, what do you want me to do? So literally, I kid you not, the whole rest of the game, I was like, mm. Mm. <sighs> <sighs> oh my God. And I, that's how the whole game, I was like that. In fact, that kind of scared my wife too. So I had to just tone it back to, mm. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Have you ever tried to praise? Have you ever tried to withhold your praise from something? It's actually quite painful. It's actually quite painful. You know why? It's because we're designed to praise. And actually, this is what C.S. Lewis says, okay? He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not, uh, not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. See what C.S. Lewis is saying? He's basically saying what I was, what I was just uh, describing for you, which is that for you to actually have joy, for you to actually uh, have joy in the midst, you actually have to express yourself. When you do not express yourself, it actually does not complete your joy. It actually lacks, it, 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 it kind of blocks you from actually having joy. And this is the reason why you can feel blessed by praise. And praise God you do. Maybe for some of you, right before the sermon, you're lifting your hands in worship and you are being so blessed. And the reason why is because that praise was actually completing your joy. Maybe God has just been revealing stuff to you. Maybe God has been doing a tremendous work in your life. Maybe you've been blessed by uh, your community groups or your small groups. And you, man, you just lifted your hands and you're like, God, you're awesome, man. And you just felt joy from that. Why? It's because praise actually completes your joy. And this is why praise can be such a pleasurable experience for a lot of us. When we, when we feel connected with God, when we're experiencing the song, when the song is really resonating with our hearts, this is what praise does to us. It completes our joy. Here's the third thing. It softens our hearts. It softens our hearts. See, what worship does is it creates within us a heart that is open, it's ready, it's receptive to hear the word of God. It's like this. It's almost like a meat tenderizer, if you would, right? Have you ever seen, like, a, a piece of steak, right? If you know anything about meat, you know that if you take a steak and you just cook it, it's not good, right? You've got to kind of beat the meat up a little bit, right? So you take, like, a little hammer. It's like a little mallet. It's got, like, jagged edges on it. You take it and you just start hammering the meat. Why? Because it softens it. And when you soften the meat, the meat is able to now absorb things. And this is what praise does to you. It actually softens your heart. Because here's the thing. Look at this, okay? Here's what's interesting about this psalm, okay? The psalmist declares all these praises in the initial part of the psalm. Then in the second part, he kind of turns, right? There's like this turning in the psalm. It's like, shout for joy, praise God, 
today if you've hardened your heart it's a marabah and a massa you know blah blah right it's like it's kind of weird but what the psalmist is doing what david is trying to show us is this the opposite of praise is not the lack of praise the opposite of praise is actually pride it's actually a heart that's hardened because you know what happened at Meribah and Massa? That's when God sent quail. In Exodus chapter 17, he sent mail, uh, quail, manna, right? He gives them all this good stuff. And guess what the Israelites do? They complain. They don't praise God. They don't give him thanksgiving. They stand there. They're like, God, why did you take us out of Egypt? Send us back. Slavery is better. I'd rather have slavery. And God's like, what the? Like, shouldn't you be praising me and thanking me for the, ma- the, the quail and the manna? But you're, you're, you're complaining, why? Because your hearts have been hardened. And you see, what we're trying to do every week, the reason why we have three songs before a uh, message is not because, oh, it's, a, it's an opener, right? Got to wait till everyone gets to church so that they can all hear the sermon. That's not the reason why. The reason why we give you praise and worship at the beginning is so that it softens your hearts. Because guess what? All throughout the week, guess what song you've been singing? How great am I am. Sing to me how great I am. Right? That's the song you've been singing your whole week. I'm great. I'm going to make this happen. It's my job. It's my success. It's all about me. This life is all about me. It's about my emotions. It's about my job. It's about my security. It's about me. And when you come here, you know what you're saying to yourself? Saying, God, it's all about you now. You're reminding yourself once again who this life is all about. And when you sing how great our God is, you know what you're doing? You're actually like slapping yourself in the face. Because you're reminding yourself, I'm not that great. I'm not that exalted. I'm not that high and lifted up. I'm not that powerful. God is. God is in control. And when you actually begin singing these songs about how great he is, about how he's the king, about how he's the Lord, it begins to tell you, you're not that. You're not the king. You're not great. You're nobody. When faced to this God who's made the sea, who's formed the land, you're nobody. And you have to remind yourself of that. And here's the reason why. Because thanksgiving comes from a place of humility. Praise comes from a place of humility. Receiving the word of God comes from a place of humility. And you have to be humble before you hear the word of God. So that it can actually penetrate your hearts. Praise is the hammer. Praise is that tenderizer that tenderizes your hearts. So that you can be reminded every single Sunday that this life is not about you. That this life is all about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Look, I know a lot of you want to believe that this life is all about you. It revolves around you. The earth spins around you. But it doesn't. It does not. This life is all about God. You are just one tiny speck, one piece of dust in the grand scheme of who God is and what his plan is for this entire history, for this entire world. Look, this leads us to the final sub-point in this, in this second point, Okay which is it provides you rest. Worship gives you rest. This is another reason why worship is so powerful for us. This is why worship and praise is so powerful. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, look, if if they harden their hearts, if they don't praise me, if they do as they did at Meribah and Massa, look what happens. They shall not enter my rest. In other words, people who have hardened their hearts, people who don't praise God, rarely ever truly rest. They're always anxious. They're always filled with uh, some sort of anxiety because why? Guess what happens when you harden your heart? You try to control everything. You try to control all of your circumstances. You try to play God. You think you're God. And that's the reason why you never rest. Because you are God. And guess what? It is hard, hard work to be God. 
It is extremely hard work to be God. You know, I don't know if I've shared this story with you, but if, if I have, then I apologize. You just get to hear it again. But uh, a, a while ago, when, when my wife and I first got married, she told me when she's like, I love it when you drive us to downtown LA. At the time, we were living in Los Angeles. We lived out in the, in the suburbs, and, and we occasionally drive into LA, into, into downtown LA, into K-Town, Koreatown, which was in downtown Los Angeles. And my wife hates driving in downtown Los Angeles. And if for any of you who've ever visited Los Angeles, you know why. The drivers there are crazy. I mean, they will cut you off. They will honk. They pull no punches. Here in Seattle, it's great. Like, people don't honk at you for the most part, right? If you honk, you know, the person honking kind of gets the bad stare, not the person in front of them, right? But in L.A., people just go nuts. They go crazy. On top of that, the roads are bad. It's just horrible, right? So my wife would always tell me, I love it when you drive in, uh, into, into downtown L.A. for us. Why? Because it was easy for her. She would just get to sit back, relax, and just be able to enjoy the city, just be able to enjoy different sights. And you see, here's the thing. For many of you, you don't allow Jesus to really physically take the wheel, as Carrie Underwood would say. You want to take the wheel of Jesus, right? You want to take that wheel, and you try to control it. And guess what? You get stressed out. You get anxious. You know what I think is really interesting in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? In the spirit of Christmas, right? This is what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And look at this last line, Prince of Peace. You know what I thought was really interesting about Prince of Peace? Is that God is the ruler of peace, right? In this description, he's ruling over peace. He's the prince of it. He's the king of peace. And in my opinion, the reason why God connects prince and with peace together is because of this. In order for you to find peace, you have to have God be the prince of your life. You cannot find peace outside of God's governing hand over your life. If you are continuously trusting in yourself, if you're continuously trying to control all of your life by yourself, guess what happens? No peace. You want peace? You have to make Jesus the prince of your life. You have to make him the king of your life. You have to make him the ruler over your life. This is what provides you rest and worship. When you praise God, what you're telling God is you take the wheel. You are in control. You are the king. You are the prince. You are everything. You are in control, not me. And therefore, you find rest. Look, I've mentioned this before, but in Luke chapter 10, right? Famous story of Mary and Martha. You know why Jesus gets mad at Martha? You know what it says in the Greek? It it says about Martha, it says that she was filled with much anxiety, and you know that word anxiety, I've mentioned this before, it's like, you're, it's a picture, it's a word picture of your brain, your mind being torn apart in four different directions. And it's because Martha was trying to control all of these things. And she actually, it actually reveals her heart, you know, the, the, actually the name Martha means master. And what she was doing to Jesus was she told Jesus what to do. She's like, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. She was playing God. And this is why Jesus gets mad at her. It's not because serving is bad. It's not because of any of these things are bad. It's because Mary, Martha was trying to control Jesus. Martha was trying to make herself master over Jesus. Whereas Mary chose the better part. She sat in submission to Jesus. She was allowing Jesus to tell her what to do. This is why Martha was stressed and Mary was in rest. Because she was allowing Jesus to speak into her life. Not the other way around. Do you know who I've noticed tend to be the most miserable and miserable and anxious people? And I'm sorry if this is you, but it's selfish people. You know, once I, I, I took my son over to uh, another boy's house. We were just hanging out with this other family. 
And this, this, the, the other boy uh, at this other family was about the same age as Josiah. But he was so kind. He was so gentle. When Josiah came over, he, I remember he went into his toy box and he brought out all these cars and these trucks and these toys. He brought them to Josiah and he was just like, hey, can you play? Here, you can play with it. Hey, why don't we play together? And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this boy's a saint. He's only two. I was like, maybe, maybe original sin isn't true. Like this, this boy has like a lot of goodness in him. You know, like he was sharing, he was doing all this stuff. And, and then, but then later on, right, a few days later, right, another kid comes over to my son's house, to our house. And guess what my son is doing? He's protecting all of his toys. This boy, this other boy comes over to our house. He's trying to play with all of my son's toys. Guess what he's doing? He's like, no, no, no. And guess what? He's anxious. He's one of the most miserable people on the planet. He's like, stop, stop, stop touching my toys. Don't play. Like, don't, don't do this stuff. And, and he's stressed. He's filled with anxiety. Why? He's trying to control everything. The other boy, man, he's like, hey, come, play. Have it. Go. He's relaxed. He's resting. He doesn't care. Okay, come, take. It's not mine. It's God's. He probably didn't say that, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm putting words in his mouth now. In praise, what we're doing is we're giving up control to God. We say, God, here. This is yours, God. This life is yours. Do what you will. Have your way in me. You're the king. You're the Lord. Take it. Let me have rest, Lord. This is why Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, take it upon yourself and find rest in me. Look, if you find yourself in a stressful, anxious situation, I can tell you right now, the reason why is because you're trying to control everything. You're taking everything. You're gripping onto it hard. And you're not allowing God to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I encourage you, this is why I love having worship afterwards, which is after, after this time is done, after we have this sermon, take time to really praise God, to acknowledge that He's in control of your life, not you. So that leads us to our final point. How do we worship? How do we actually worship? And you, you guys are going to think this is so silly, but it's, it's very straightforward. It's our singing. It's our singing. Look what he says in verse 1 and 2. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Singing has been a part of the church for millennia. It was a part of the Jewish faith for 10,000 years. It's been a part of our tradition for a very, very long time. And here's the reason why. It's because songs and music hit your heart. It hits at the core of who you are. <coughs> Excuse me. This is why the Bible is filled with songs, right? The, the book of Psalms, for example, is, a, is actually songs, right? The, the Song of Solomon is another book of songs, right? Uh, in Revelation, whenever you see the angels, what are they doing? They're singing. Uh, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah goes to heaven, he sees the angels doing what? Singing again. Paul, in Acts chapter 16, when he's in, in prison, what is he doing? He's singing. Everybody is singing. Ephesians and Paul, you know what Paul says to people? He says, don't just sing to God. He says, sing to one another, he says, look at each other in the eyes and sing. When's the last time you've done that? Wouldn't that be awkward if we all just turned to each other and started singing? But he says, sing. I could go on and on and on, but one of the primary ways of worshiping God is singing because music is the gateway to the human heart. It hits you at the core. There's nothing, there's nothing like music. There's nothing like singing. Imagine a movie, a soundtrack. Oh, sorry, a movie with no soundtrack where you get to this climactic scene where the two lovers meet again. And it's just silence. And they're kissing. They're holding hands and nothing. Just silence. Wouldn't that be the worst movie in the history of mankind, right? What makes a movie great? It's this climactic scene, right? And it's like, da, 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 right? And all this music comes in, right? And fireworks are going off, right? It's the music that makes it actually linked to your heart. 
And this is why we sing. You know, excuse me. <coughs> you know, a while ago I watched this documentary called The Power of Music. And it was a really interesting documentary. It was about literally the power of music. And what they did is they went to this, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a little sick. Uh, they went to this senior citizen's home uh, where all of these uh, grandparents were suffering from dementia. Uh, they had just gotten old and they started losing a lot of their memories. And what's amazing about this documentary is that some of these grandparents, some of these elderly folks, could not remember their children. They could not remember their lovers. They could not remember their spouses. They could not remember parts of their history. And yet, you know what was crazy is when they took music, they placed it over these elderly people's ears. All of a sudden, memories would flow back to them. And they say, like, yeah, I remember this song. I remember it. I remember like I was dating this woman or I was doing this. And they could remember the music. They remember the lyrics. They remember how the song went. And, and, and in this depressing, depressing home where there was dementia and, and all sorts of uh, uh, you know, uh, ailments to the brain, you would see these elderly people, all of a sudden joy would be infused back into them. They would start singing along and smiling and singing with the music and remembering the good old days. And the whole point of the documentary was to say, look, music has so much power not only over your heart, but over your mind as well. And this is why God has chosen us to sing. He created you. He made you. And he said, look, music is the way to your heart. If you want to get to your heart, sing. Make music. But again, here's the thing, right? Here's the objection. But Pastor Eric, I don't like, I don't like the music here. Again, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. And you sing, not because it's about you, but it's because it's about God. Um, you know, here's a second way we praise God, and, and this will be uh, sort of the last sub-point I make. It's with our lives. It's with our entire lives. Of course, we sing with our mouths. Of course, we sing with music. But look at what he says. He says, he says in verse 6, the psalmist says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You know that language is language of submission, of obedience. It's a life filled with praise. It's a life filled with worship. It's a life saying, God, you are the king. It's a life saying, God, you, you know everything. And so even though I don't understand why you want me to obey this command, I don't understand why you want me to do this, God, I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey. Why? Because you're the king. You're the Lord. You're, you're, you're my pastor. You're my shepherd. So I'm going to do as you say. It's with our lives that we are able to worship uh, our, our Lord. You know, Amos chapter 5, it's not going to be up here on the, on the screens, but Amos says this, right? He says, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. You know why? Because the Israelites weren't living righteously. They're praising God. They're doing all of these things, and God says, take away from me all the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He's saying this, look, you worship me with your songs, but you do nothing with your life. How can you come here on Sundays and worship me and sing songs if your life doesn't reflect the life of praise and worship? And friends, this is a challenge to you and I to not just come and sing, but to make our lives a reflection of this. Look, friends, in, in the next two weeks, we're going to talk a lot about evangelism. How do we get our neighbors to actually like Christians? How do we actually multiply as a church? But this, it begins here. It begins when you actually begin living your life of praise. When you actually start reflecting the values of Christ in your workplace, in your colleges, at school, at home, wherever it is, when you start reflecting the values of Christ, it begins when you live your life out of praise. Friends, I'm telling you, if you sing here on Sundays but you don't sing in your life, people will notice the discrepancy. 
In fact, you will probably be the first one to notice that discrepancy. But look, I don't want to guilt trip you. I don't want to tell you to to feel shame and guilt. But here's, here's the point. It begins here as we praise and we worship God. It does. It starts with our singing. Because our singing tells us what our hearts are. And here, this is how we begin changing our lives. It's through praise and through singing and through worshiping God. If we want to live lives of praise, if we want to live lives of obedience and worship, it begins with our singing here. It begins with us acknowledging that God is king, that we are not. It begins acknowledging that it's all about him, not about you. It begins right here reminding yourselves of the simple truth that Jesus is Lord. And do you understand that the gospel is not just Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins, though that is gospel. It's also that your Lord died for you on a cross. Do you understand that Jesus was not just a man? He was not just some dude. He was God. He's the God who created the seas. He's the one that formed the land. He had all this power and all this might, and the Bible tells us that he stepped into time and space. He took his throne, he threw it away, he says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to die their death. I'm going to take upon their sins upon my shoulder. See, if you take Jesus as Lord out of your gospel, the gospel is not really gospel. You have to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that makes the gospel all the more profound. That it wasn't just the man who died in your place. It was the King of kings and the Lord of lords who took your place. The perfect, holy Lamb of God. Jesus Christ deserves all the praise and all the worship because of this. Because he was both Lord, he was man, and he died for us on a cross. Jesus Christ deserves all of our praise and worship because of who he is, because of what he's done, because he's a king, and because he stepped down into this universe. And if you withhold that praise from him, the Bible tells him the rocks will cry out. Creation will cry out. Why? Because he deserves it. Like imagine today, okay? Imagine today. This is a hypothetical situation, but imagine Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive. Imagine if Martin Luther King Jr. just came out onto the stage right now Just imagine it, okay? I know it's kind of a far-fetched stuff, but just imagine. What would you guys start doing? You guys would get up out of your seats and be like, oh my gosh, that's Martin Luther King Jr. And in fact, you know what would happen? Is if you did not stand and clap your hands, guess what? The people next to you would judge you. If you sat down there and were just like sitting, Martin Luther King Jr. came up on stage, people would judge you like, why aren't you clapping, man? Martin Luther King deserves it. He fought this, are you racist? Like, you know, they would judge you. Why? Because why? Because he probably deserves it. He deserves a round of applause. He deserves a standing ovation because of what he's done for civil rights. And in the same way, let me tell you right now, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is here. He's here right now in our presence. He's in your hearts. And does he not deserve a standing ovation? Does he not deserve all of our praise? Does he not deserve all of our lives, friends? Does he not deserve it all? Why? Because of what he did for us on the cross as our King and as our Savior. And friends, I'm telling you, do not withhold praise from this God. He deserves it all. He deserves every ounce of it. So I want to invite you all to stand right now. Let's just stand. Let me pray for us, and then let's just get right into it. Let's sing. Let's sing to the Lord. Come, let's make a joyful noise of the rock of our salvation. Let me pray for us. Lord, Father, we just want to acknowledge you today. Lord, you are here right now in our midst. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is here. And Holy Spirit, if we, if we have this baggage and this anxiety in our heart, Holy Spirit, help us to remove it right now. Take it out of our hearts. Cast it upon you. And God, may we just think upon you and you alone right now. 
take away the distractions, take away the noise, take away all the anxiety, the stress, the hatred, the bitterness, all the sin in our lives, Lord, and let's just focus in upon you. Lord, may this be the greatest praise you've ever heard. May this shout from the rooftops, Lord. May we praise you with our mouths, and we, may we praise you with our lives. We thank you, Lord. We pray this on your son's holy.